0: Today's episode of Positive Regression is sponsored by Craft Beer Club. Craft Beer Club is the original Craft Beer of the Month club searching for exceptional craft beers from around the country to deliver to your front door. Each shipment includes a dozen beers from among the best microbreweries in America, many of which have earned top awards. Their micro brew news newsletter accompanies each shipment, so you can learn much about the featured craft brewery and the brewmasters. Check out the brewery's tasting notes and test your beer geekiness with beer trivia questions.
1: You can customize your own ongoing Beer Club membership, whether it's annually, monthly, or quarterly. There is no membership fee. There is no obligation to continue. You may cancel your membership or gift anytime for any reason. Shipping is always free, and if you purchase using beer.posregpod.com, you'll receive up to three bonus gifts with your order, and you'll help support this very podcast. So, take advantage of the offer, join Craft Beer Club today, and place your order at beer.posregpod.com. Positive Regression in Motorsports Analytics Podcast. I'm Alan Kavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of Motorsports Analytics. On this episode, new names, new places, new projections on what each driver could bring to his new team, a landing spot for Chase Briscoe, and a Talladega preview that starts with the importance of passing ability at the big track. But first, as always, this is episode 81 of Positive Regression. This is the Jack Ingram Edition. Great choice, David. NASCAR Hall of Famer Jack Ingram. But David, he only made 19 Cup Series starts. Of course, that's not why we know Jack Ingram, but some of those starts, four of them actually, did come in a number 81 car. David, who? Why? Jack Ingram.
0: Yeah, I think everything that we know of Jack Ingram came from his success in what is now the NASCAR Xfinity Series. He was... Sam Ard's biggest adversary in the early days of the Xfinity Series. Ingram won the inaugural series championship in 1982 and again in 1985. Uh, Of course, he won 31 races all time, including eight in 1984. So did Sam Ard in the same season, but that eight win total has some significance Since the 84 season, we've only seen that replicated or surpassed 11 times. Six of those were by Kyle Busch, and just two of them were by Xfinity Series regulars last year with Christopher Bell, and this year, thanks to his win last weekend in Las Vegas, by Chase Briscoe. Now, the Xfinity Series that he competed in was a little bit different than what we know it as... Now, it was born out of NASCAR's popular late model sportsman division, and that was uh, an all-country-wide, all-encompassing series. It was similar to the all-American standings that NASCAR has now for late models, uh, local modifieds, all types of cars. And Jack Ingram was a three-time champion in that iteration of sportsman. He won three titles in a row, 1972, 73, and 74. But the work that had to be done to go into winning those titles, uh, he said, he had to race upwards of 100 races a year in order to accumulate enough points just to be in contention for uh, for that all-encompassing sportsman title. So, think that's that's probably racing three times a weekend. So, when NASCAR decided to launch this this new touring national series, he relished in it. He said that running that series felt like a vacation compared to (laughs) what he had to do before, and he had already won at half of the tracks on the initial Xfinity Series schedule. That gave him a huge leg up into becoming uh, one of the series' original stars and eventually uh, a Hall of Fame selection.
1: Yeah. And, uh, that's where I was fortunate enough to interview Jack Ingram on, uh, during the, the Hall of Fame night, or I think it was the vote, actually. I think it was back in the NASCAR.com days, maybe. And, uh, so I know, just very fortunate to be, have that opportunity and, and see him get that accolade. Very cool. David, one other thing I'll point out, a lot of his success came, I, I believe, when he was in his mid forties, right? Mid to late forties, which is unique. As we know, if you are a listener of this podcast, uh, somewhat unique of a uh, time to have success in life.
0: Exactly. And it kind of speaks to his driving style. I don't know how he was when you interviewed him, Alan, but on (laughs) the racetrack, he was not well liked. He uh, played a little bit of dirty pool. He didn't mind uh, ruffling some feathers on the racetrack. And that was by and large the key to his success. His nickname was the Iron Man. And uh, some of that was a term of endearment, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> on, on, on some other cases, it was uh, maybe um, maybe a proxy for a curse word. I don't know. But he, um, he did have that reputation as something of an intimidator uh, on the local scene. Uh, he lived up to it. He had success by it, uh, and it suited him well uh, late into his career.
1: Episode 81, the Jack Ingram edition. Let's get started. David, there's been a lot of free agent news and new signings and, uh, new faces, new places, if you will, for 2021. So let's get down to analyzing some of them as you are so good at. Uh, first off, Ross Chastain to Ganassi. David, this came out last week. Uh, you wrote a great article analyzing what exactly, uh, benefits both sides here. And it was just interesting with Ross Chastain, right? Because we knew he had the Ganassi affiliation. He's been affiliated with that team for a long time and, at first, obviously, he seemed like the heir apparent to get the cup ride with Chip Ganassi racing. And then there was the summer lull, if you will, where they were vacillating and maybe Ross Chastain's name didn't show up as much. Uh, I think it's been reported they made an offer to Bubba Wallace. But in the end, it was the, the person we thought it would be the whole time. Uh, Ross Chastain going to the Ganassi 42. How do you analyze this move?
0: Yeah, were you surprised by that when that that announcement dropped that they had settled on Ross Chastain?
1: I don't know if settled's the right word, but it, it does make me wonder, and we're going to get to this, uh, here in a second after we analyze, uh, Mr. Chastain, but there are other options still out there, right? I mean, there was the possibility of, of getting Bubba, apparently. Eric Jones and all his accolades and his performance are still out there. So it does, it did surprise me as to just in general, why wouldn't you want Eric Jones on your damn team? Right? So that, that part I don't understand. We'll tackle both of these topics, but, with the affiliation, I don't see why you wouldn't want a young guy like uh, Ross Chastain, but there there were other options out there. So that, frankly, was surprising to me.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, our listeners don't have to like the move. Maybe they're Ross Chastain fans, or maybe they wanted to see Eric Jones or Bubba Wallace in this car. But regardless, it would seem that Chip Ganassi Racing did the due diligence in seeking a new driver, they didn't just stick with the in-house option, and I think in that in this case that that was Ross Chastain. They did reach out to other drivers, they considered them, and in the end, they went with the guy who was in their wheelhouse all along. Um, now, it was a few years ago we saw Front Row Motorsports announce. David Reagan and David Gilliland would be returning and they announced it in, in August or September. And that always seemed peculiar to me. No offense to those guys, but they clearly would have been available in December or January. And Front Row could have done itself a service if it had waited to see who became available. Uh, you don't know who's going to, you know, shake loose from a tree late in the season. Ganassi did. Uh, they they monitored who became available. They just w- circled back and, and signed the guy that they believed in all along. But as to what Ross Chastain brings to Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, first and foremost, he is a driver who is affordable. He is worth six figures on the open market. He'll get Six figures, he's not a rookie, but he'll be paid like one, and that's a big difference from both Kyle Larson and Matt Kenseth, who were seven-figure drivers. But from a talent standpoint, he's an interesting fit for Ganassi because Ganassi right now has two cars driven by Kurt Busch and Matt Kenseth that contain more short-run speed than long-run speed. Uh, Kurt Busch, as we saw this past weekend in Las Vegas, he can utilize that short run speed very well. As a driver, Kurt Busch fits what Chip Ganassi Racing seems to do best. Matt Kenseth does not. Even when things were going well for Kenseth in his prime, when he was driving for Roush Fenway and uh, perennially in the playoffs, he was a peaks and valley kind of guy on restarts, this is going to be different. Ross Chastain is an excellent restarter. He ranks first in position retention among Xfinity Series regulars. He ranks second in positions gained on restarts. Now, there will be hurdles for Chastain. He's had good passing numbers in the past against Cup Series competition, but that was against the likes... of. Of the Rick Ware cars of the world, you know, the traditional back markers. He's struggled with long run passing this season running up front in the Xfinity series. That's a little bit peculiar for me. He has a deep negative surplus value right now. Uh and really he's the only driver in title contention who can say that. But on short runs, he's great. He's got that. And again, NASCAR is mulling over adding a third stage break next season. And if that takes place, then that's now four start, restart opportunities per race that could prove valuable to this number 42 team that already focuses on short runs. And now they have a driver who seemingly can take advantage of that.
1: Perfect. I I like, I mean, you laid out why he fits, where the potential could be. But but as we said, Ganassi did have options, right? And that one of those options was Eric Jones, an accomplished young racer, Uh probably would command more salary given his resume. But do you think that's the primary factor as to why Eric Jones isn't with Chip Ganassi Racing? Why not Eric Jones for
0: this ride? <laughs> that's a tremendous question. It's probably not something that Chip Ganassi Racing will ever uh, voice publicly. But th- the production numbers are there to support a star trajectory for Eric Jones, so much so that his worth on the open market, as you said, far greater than most other drivers who are available right now. And this honestly might be an instance in which Ganassi doesn't want to pay the type of salary that Jones commands. His open market value right now, which you can look up on motorsportsanalytics.com, is $3.4 a year, and that's after taking into account the 35% reduction in driver salaries we're seeing as a result of COVID. He's going to have to settle on a number lower than his worth. I think he's going to come to the realization of that, but you can't blame him for standing pat to an extent. Uh, I don't think Hendrick Motorsports is going to come knocking either. As we've discussed, they don't want to pay over $2 million a year for a driver. And from the sounds of it, Kyle Larson – is heading there on a rookie-scale deal pending Chevrolet approval. So Jones is in the lurch here. Um, He does not bring personal sponsorship, and unlike Chastain, he doesn't have the power of leverage of of a family farming business. Chastain's not paying for his ride, but the leverage is there in the instance he needs it. Jones made a one-year bet on himself last year that probably would have worked out just fine if there w- wasn't a, a, a global pandemic, Um but he may as well keep betting on himself because the jobs market is unstable. Eventually, stability will return, though it might be in a different shape. But I feel we haven't heard the last of uh, Mr. Jones. It just might not be in the vehicle that we previously thought
1: interesting when a top talent has trouble finding a ride, but that's the story of the, the current state of NASCAR. So we'll continue on next up. We heard last week, Bubba Wallace joining the new Jordan Hamlin race team. And David, of course, that Jordan is Michael freaking Jordan, that Michael Jordan. And only time will tell David how significant this is because I think it happens to be, it could be the most significant thing to happen over the next decade if this team is successful. But only time will tell us that. Michael Jordan, the most recognizable athlete in the world. Maybe some football soccer fans, if you will, will argue, but Michael Jordan, the most recognizable athlete in the world. That gets attention and that attention is now being looked at by, on NASCAR, right? I mean, Michael Jordan is now a part of NASCAR. If you are an owner like he is and you call up a company for potential sponsorship, I don't think any CEO is turning down a meeting with Michael freaking Jordan, right? So he's got some leverage there to get some support for a team that may need it in the future in terms of funding, in terms of sponsorship. Those are all positives, but this, David, has to be A success. There has to be results from this team, from this pairing of Jordan and Hamlin with Bubba Wallace as the driver because the name Michael Jordan only gets you so far. Think about it. He's the best basketball player of all time, right? He owns a basketball team and that basketball team is terrible. I can say that because I'm a Charlotte Hornets season ticket holder. (laughs) Therefore I have earned the right to say that sitting through some of these games. Basically what I'm getting at, Michael Jordan knows basketball. The team, not so good. Michael Jordan, I'm going to guess, knows a little less about racing than he does about basketball. So we have to limit our expectations, right, with this team and what could come of it. So all I'm saying is pump the brakes in terms of have some caution on this. We have seen big names come into this sport. We have seen big budgets come into this sport and be gone quickly with with kind of little fanfare. So my, my only hope with this, David, before we get to the Bubba aspect of it is, that the best part of this new pairing is not the announcement, right? The announcement gets all the fun attention. Everyone's having a good time, smiling, saying how great it's going to be. I hope that's not the high point of this relationship.
0: I I, I would agree. Um, I got to say, as, as a child of the 90s, if you would have told me that Michael Jordan is going to be a part of NASCAR, uh, I would have been floored. Uh Everything you said, though, is correct. I mean, we've seen celebrities... Come into the sport in some capacity, and yeah, the announcement was the best day of those existences. I think episode thirteen we talked about the Dan Marino team, Dan right?
1: Freaking Marino, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it didn't it didn't work out so well. But from the sounds of it, this has been brewing for a little while. Michael Jordan is something of a gearhead. He has uh, had ownership roles in motorcycle racing. So he's familiar with sports containing horsepower and the relationship with Denny Hamlin allows, uh, him some different doors to open. Uh, I, I mean, it hasn't been announced. My, the assumption is that this is a Toyota team. And if that's the case, if this is a team slotting into a role left by Levine family racing, left by furniture row racing, then you can kind of see the organization's pathway to survival or at the very least staying afloat as it's gaining its footing.
1: Sure. And, and that's with driver Bubba Wallace, of course. Um, why him? Or let, let's analyze the deal. He's bringing a ton of sponsorship. That, to me, David, cannot be understressed, if I'm saying that correctly. But this day and age, bringing sponsorship is a skill. It's just its just as big as the skill you need on the racetrack. You need to have the skill of of getting sponsorship to keep your survival going in this sport. Bubba has proved he can do that. That is what made him partly such an attractive free agent. On the performance side of it, David, I look over at motorsportsanalytics.com, I try to break down, he's got the 25th fastest car pound for pound in central speed this year. In 20 of 30 races, he has finished higher than 25th. That to me is good. But when I look at some other metrics, I can't find a ton of positives this year. So what, what do you see the strengths and or weaknesses of Bubba Wallace joining a new team like this?
0: Ooh. So, okay. So I've already started an initial round of 2021 projections. Uh, I'll freely say that I'm using Wood Brothers Racing as a proxy for what to expect from this team. Um, I'm thinking that it will be a Toyota team, a de facto Joe Gibbs team, possibly similar to the relationship between Wood Brothers and Penske. And that said... I think you got it right. Bubba has overachieved to a degree this season. He is finishing inside the top 15 over 33% of the time. He's running there only in uh, only 22% of his completed laps. And on top of that, this has been the most productive season of his Cup Series career by far. And mm-hmm. While we like to think that improvement is a straight-line trajectory, anyone who has ever played fantasy baseball will tell you that is not the case, uh, some driver regression could be in the cards here. And I truly think a lot will depend on the crew chief hire. Uh, Cole Custer has a Mike Shiplett, as you are so prone to point out. I think Bubba needs his own Mike Shiplett just being fed track position on green flag pit cycles as to supplement his lack of long run passing. Of course, speed can help that too. Uh, JGR has the best long run speed organization wide in the series. And if this is a team indeed closely associated with JGR, then that can go a long way into masking his deficiency. As we've discussed before, if Bubba has any semblance of a strength, it is short runs. He is taking those, at least placement, on restarts and turning them into finishes that, frankly, his running position would probably suggest he, he doesn't deserve or aren't to be expected. Um, so a, a blend of the two means that we will see improved results with better equipment, even though we can also expect – normal productive uh production regression from the driver if that makes sense i know it's a little bit complicated but i think i think we're uh, i think we're getting there
1: Again, uh, there's a few unknowns, so it's hard to for me to form a, a strong opinion in terms of what we can realistically expect from this team in 2021. I like the Wood Brothers comparison in just jotting down some notes. You know, what's the best-case scenario? Obviously, it's like a furniture row team, right, back in, a few years ago. I don't think it'll quite get there. Is it like Levine family racing this year? Is it better? Is it worse? Uh, you know, we've had two years of, I think, that Toyota Gibbs-Levine kind of – um uh, relationship there, so can we expect something like that? Would would, would that be fair to expect something like that? W- where do you f- settle on this question?
0: Well, if we if we we're thinking that this is an affiliate team, then maybe let's remove Furniture Row for the <laughs> time being, and and let's think of Matt De Benedetto with with Wood Brothers, Paul Menard with Wood Brothers, um, De Benedetto and Chris Bell with LFR. They have bounced up and down, almost a, a yo-yo of sorts from fringe playoff contender. And we'll say that De Benedetto at Wood Brothers was, was that point to barely finishing inside the top 20 in points. I think there is a four to five spot range that realistically that is the expectation for next season. Unless we forget that would be at at the very least, a five-position upgrade for Bubba. So it, to me, it makes sense for him because he was at the crossroads here with his career. He was offered ownership by RPM, but RPM at its core is a small team. It, it, it's thin over there. He was offered a ride by Ganassi, as was reported, but he chose another path. And I think... This is an option in which he does get an equipment upgrade. The realistic expectations improve, but also he's going to have a hand in building this team, thanks to the sponsorship that he is bringing with him. But he has he has a hand in building this team and his image as if he's kind of the owner. So so it's kind of the best of everything that was available. I can see how that would be appealing and satisfying to him.
1: Uh, next up, David, Chase Briscoe. He just fulfilled – I mean, I can't believe this kid. He said, I, I'm going to need eight wins if I have any shot at getting a Cup Series ride. And eight wins in any series in any year is crazy, right? Well, Chase Briscoe just fulfilled his prophecy by winning his eighth race of the season. David, is it enough? Is it enough to earn a promotion to the Cup Series? I mean – Right off, I just thought it should be right eight wins. I and mean, what is the downside of getting this young man right now? Uh, you you wrote a whole article about it, so I'll let you uh, start on this one. But w- what is the downside of Chase Briscoe and moving to Cup?
0: Seemingly none. I mean he he called a shot incredibly and and accomplished it. it that certainly should be enough. But Chase Briscoe has no control over his future. Whatsoever. Uh, you're right. I, I wrote about him for Forbes. I talked with him on Xfinity Series Playoff Media Day. I asked him about the, uh, the eight win called shot. And believe it or not, he's changed from the, the 25 year old driver that had all that urgency, uh, to where he is now. Now he's content with whatever the outcome is if he is promoted or if he's back in the Xfinity series for another year for Stuart Haas. Briscoe would be a six figure guy initially, and that is some terrific cost savings from the seven figures that Clint Boyer would command. Boyer still has not signed an extension with SHR for that 14 car. I would argue that with the right crew chief combination Chase Briscoe and his spider chart is in that article. Please go check that out. He can emulate a lot of what Boyer did statistically this season, including compete for a playoff spot. But it is Boyer's pull with sponsors that is so big. Of course, everyone knows of Boyer's magnanimous personality. He's a proven commodity behind the wheel uh SHR knows what they will get from him, and as much as we can tout Briscoe, there's still that question. He's never competed in the Cup Series, so we don't know. Boyer could always accept a cut rate deal, and, and all of that is just beyond Briscoe's control. So his attitude going into what seems like a lot of uncertainty is admirable because he genuinely seems to be up for anything. He could always control his effort, and he very much did that this season. He simply can't control the outcome, but I think we'll be seeing more of uh, Briscoe from from the sounds of it.
1: Uh, I would hope so. I mean, eight wins is is awesome, right? And part of your article and part of something that I talked about last week on last week's episode is I love seeing the adaptation, right, and the transition. If you show me as a driver – you can adapt from one series to another or over the course of a season. I think that's an inherent skill that you can bring when you move up to the next one, right? You you've shown you can learn quickly and adapt. There's always going to be struggles. But if you can adapt quickly and then start succeeding, I think that's a skill in every, in every part of life, whether, you know, you're a little leaguer who learns how to hit quickly and then you move up to college and you learn college pitching, all that stuff, you know, minor leagues, major leagues. I I look for that skill in racing and I, and that's what I see out of Chase Briscoe, right? Uh, David, part of the thing you touched on was that he's, he came from dirt racing. He's had so few starts on actual pavement, and for him to be winning at this level so quickly, I think really says a lot about his potential. It's it's one reason I was such an apologist for Danica at times, because she had so few starts in a stock car that what were you really expecting in terms of her success? I think kind of the same about Chase Briscoe when I say, David, that he came from dirt, right? If you combine his truck starts and Xfinity starts on pavement, he has 99 total starts. That's it. 99. And 11 wins. 11. I mean, that percentage is more than 10%. Even I can do that math. I mean, that's a hell of a winning percentage on pavement for a driver who hasn't been doing it that long. I think, I mean, I think there's a ton of potential there.
0: Yeah, he hadn't had 100 starts on pavement, period, until he was well into his Xfinity series career. So so that that acclamation that you talked about was swift and at times difficult. It was eye-opening for me uh listening to him talk earlier this year about how much he relied on Cole Custer Last year, Cole Custer, by the way, three or four years younger than than Briscoe, but far more experience. And seeing the tracks that they were going to last year, Custer knew what to do. Briscoe was figuring that out. And with this being his second full year in the Xfinity series, it was his second bite at the apple. Yeah, the competition diminished. Uh, there were four very good drivers that graduated to the Cup Series this year, but that he's adapted, and that he's not just a one-note guy. He's doing a little, a little bit of everything well, and he's also winning at different track types. He's winning at mile and a half. So he won at Darlington. He wrote at, uh, at the road course at Indianapolis. He's now competitive on drafting tracks. He actually reached out to Dale Earnhardt Jr. in advance of Daytona this year just for some tips and his best. Uh, drafting track finishes have come this year at Daytona in races that were surprisingly complex. So he has, he has put in the work. And I think that's what folks within the industry recognize and like about him. Um, that's going to be a tough decision for SHR, uh, because what Boyer, what he offers isn't, isn't easy to find in the cup series. He is, a steady hand if he's not a winning hand and he's a favorite of sponsors and that is the the fuel of the sport that's going to be difficult uh to overtake him for a seat but briscoe told me he believes that he has proved his worth in this sport uh i concur with that statement uh now just curious to see what happens next
1: Me as well, because eight wins, it's got to earn you something, David. But we'll see what happens with the young man. Moving on, let's preview Talladega, one of my favorite places. Maybe my favorite place in all of racing is uh, that trioval in Talladega. Uh, I just love it. It's what NASCAR is all about. It's a very NASCAR place, and they're heading there for a playoff race. It's a playoff cutoff race, actually, for the trucks, where I'll be. But, David, we're talking Cup Series right now. And one of the best parts of subscribing to Motorsports Analytics and getting the benefit of all your work and data are passing stats. Uh, but you do not do pass passing stats for drafting tracks. Why is that? Because uh, you do meticulous passing stats at all sorts of different tracks, short tracks, mile and a halves, uh different types of mile and a half. You do at the road courses, all sorts of stuff, but you omit uh, what, what I should, drafting tracks. I always keep wanting to say play tracks. So I apologize, but why, why no passing stats for drafting tracks?
0: So initially when I made the decision to not track passing at Daytona and Talladega, it was for two reasons. One, because the ebbs and flows of different lines inflated those numbers. So you're gonna hear a lot about green flag passes. I'm sure coming out of Talladega, uh those numbers are a little higher than, than average. Every jostle is is going to count. But the the second reason I think is the most important. Dropping out of the draft and choosing to run towards the the rear of the field is an intelligent, deliberate decision that would be penalized by a block of negative pass encounters. So none of that seemed fair or uh, conducive. Now, I would add that Based on what we saw last year and this year with pit stops, both their timing, like we saw the Toyotas do in the Daytona 500 this year, uh, or at Talladega, the choice to alternate two tire stops, like what Todd Gordon did for uh, Joey Logano, you know, almost a hundred laps on one side of tires at one point. That's that's a shot at a bigger bounty of track position that doesn't involve traditional passing because earning track position the traditional way is seemingly too dangerous. It means traversing through the middle of that draft, that pack, where the likelihood for getting caught in uh, a multi-car crash is high. And I'm not so sure that a positive passing number in that regard would hint at talent as much as it would a willingness to take a risk when that risk is completely unnecessary. So I I think we we will see a bevy of different routes taken in Sunday's race, two of which will be centered around stage points and whether to attempt securing them or not to worry too much about them both come down to the intent of the driver and the team
1: now david i don't want that explanation to come across as to me that passing still is a skill right at talladega i mean i believe it's absolutely a skill timing the runs being aggressive there is skill to being a good passer at Talladega. So uh, I don't want to eliminate that possibility that the rewards go to some of the, the more skilled uh plate or drafting track racers that does involve passing and when to make a run and when to block is is that fair?
0: Yeah, and, and we're seeing that uh a lot lately even timing the the lane switch with the oncoming draft. It's you know, this is going to sound, uh, sound a little fanboyish, but it's, it's sort of an art, uh, that sure. only, you know, a few drivers can pull off and it takes spotter communication. It takes timing. It takes a realization of the closing rate at those high speeds. Uh, that, that's why that,
1: I love, I love praising Joey Logano. I love watching yeah. Joey Logano on these tracks because his aggression benefits him most of the time clearly there will there will be bad moments there will be wrecks or what have you but it's like chicken and egg whether his aggression has led to a reputation that other drivers respect you can't really you know you can't really measure that right but there is a certain if you know Joey Logano is in the bottom lane and there's somewhat of a hole he is the driver that will take it and you have to respect that ability you have to respect that attitude and that that reputation has come from him being so good at these plate tracks at these drafting tracks. So uh, it's weird whether it's, you know, again, chicken or egg, which came first, the reputation or the skill, but Logano has both of those. And he is respected out there because people know he will throw that lane change and block that lane because he is good at this drafting stuff.
0: Yeah. And it, I mean, for me, it's almost expert timing. Uh What, stands drivers like Denny Hamlin or Brad Kozlowski apart from the rest. Even even during the uh the duel in Daytona, I was sitting in the in the press box for that one and watched William Byron uh time that kind of run very well. He ended up winning that race. He ended up winning Daytona in July. So you might have a burgeoning drafter in that respect. But when it when it comes to Aggression, I think if there's a modicum of, of respect involved in what Logano has been doing, I think it comes down to knowing the field well enough to, to do what he does and then timing when he does it. Um, it's uncanny. Uh, and he's got a knack for that right now that most drivers don't. Uh, you know, we've seen Ryan Blaney be very aggressive. We've seen Ricky Stenhouse be very aggressive. We've seen both of those drivers be criticized for that, that aggression. Um, there are only just a few that can make things happen within a draft. Uh, you're right. Logano is one of them. Um, that is something that isn't going to be measured with one singular passing stat. Um, it's almost like uh, the old Madden football games. When a player had an awareness number, these guys have a high awareness number. <laughs> if it's possible to measure mm-hmm. that, that's, that's kind of where they're living.
1: All right. And that awareness may help them with stage points, which is something we definitely need to talk about because, David, you've pointed out before, but Joey Logano last year, he earned the second most points in the race, even though he finished 11th because of his skills, obviously, but where he placed in those opening stages that that helped him with the playoff cutoff. Right. In terms of the point standings, Austin Dillon earned the third most points in that race. He's going to need some of that performance. Should, should those points, should that aggression early on in the first two stages, does that need to be the focus rather than the outright win?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm willing to bet that that's the MO for Austin Dillon. Uh, same with Clint Boyer and Eric Almarola. They are below the playoff cutoff right now. Um, that first stage, Alan, the, the deeper this race gets, the more dangerous this race becomes. And if anybody punts on that first stage, uh, especially those below the cutoff, they might come to regret it. There might not be an ability to dictate the result of this race, but there is an opportunity to make a bad result less severe. And that comes early with that, that first stage. Now, the flip side of that, it's what Denny Hamlin uh, told us, and I and I think you know guys like him, Kevin Harvick, Keselowski, they probably aren't worried about anything beyond a stage win and a race win, uh, just because they have a cushion. But when we talked with Denny Hamlin earlier this year, previewing the Daytona five hundred, he specifically said there are thirty two other races where he can worry about collecting stage points. Drafting tracks not included in that. I can totally see uh, those three guys driving a more conservative race. Or actually, let me rephrase. If they are in the middle of heavy traffic, that is a risk that does absolutely nothing for them. There, <laughs> I'll, I'll, put it, I'll put it that way. So, <laughs> so I, w- I was looking at, at the standings and I was looking at past Talladega results. You know who might be in serious trouble here is Martin Truex, and he has just one win this season, so not a significant amount of cushion for the next round. He hasn't finished better than 20th at Talladega since 2016, and wow. and if I'm correct— he hasn't scored a stage point at Talladega since the 2018 spring race.
1: That's what I was going to say. His M.O., if I just think of Martin Truex Jr. And, and Talladega or or the drafting tracks, I think right around and back until the end. Like that, that's that been his strategy, if you will, or just maybe the plan, you know, going in. That's crazy to me.
0: Yeah, we're thinking on the, the same wavelength here because the, the race that comes next in this round – is the road course at Charlotte and his road course acumen precedes him but I think it's dangerous to overlook what this weekend's race is just to get to next weekend a bad race here which based on history is is likely um that that coupled with a premature end at the roval he could be out of the playoffs that is real I know he had a very quiet Top five finish. So quiet that I didn't realize he finished in the top five until two hours after Las Vegas ended. Um, <laughs> but, but he he very much needs to take this weekend's race seriously. At the very least, it cannot look like his recent Teledig outings.
1: Interesting. Well, I mean, you would – Martin Truex jr popular name, obviously a multiple race winner, former champion that 's not who we deal with when we talk about contrarian picks, David, on this podcast. I got a brag last week, I said Matt de Benedetto, and he went out and finished second, so I was patting myself on the back for that one. But, David, we don't normally pick winners or, or choice, you know picks for wins, but that's what we're going to do this week. Contrarian picks for the win, since it is a drafting track at Talladega. It does open the field a little more. David, I'll let you go first. Who is your contrarian pick, not only to do well, to win the damn race?
0: Uh Does a driver who's never won Talladega, does that constitute a contrarian pick?
1: I suppose so, but the judge is still out. Let's hear it. <laughs> Kurt Busch.
0: Seven, oh,
1: come on.
0: seven top ten finishes in his last ten Talladega yeah, starts. He's
1: great at, at play tracks.
0: <laughs> and doesn't have a win to show for it. Uh, and, and you know what? He's already won in this round. He doesn't have to dance for the man and compete for stage points. He can, he can design his own race, honestly. He can ride around in the back and, uh, and show up towards the end. I feel like he won't just because that's just not on brand for Kurt Busch, but he has that luxury. And I think uh, a Kurt Busch here without limitations is the very best Kurt Busch. Uh, I think of the race two years ago. He was uh, an important cog in that four car Stuart Haas racing bulwark that uh, dominated the race. He ran out of fuel. So he had a, uh, he was staring a win in the face. It went away in the end. Eric Amarola benefited from that. Let's see if he can go uh, go get two in a row for this playoff round and win Talladega.
1: Not bad, not bad. I mean, he's a skilled driver, so it's a great pick. Uh, I'm going to, I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a bunch of names we could go throw out there. Ricky Jr. Jr.'s won before. I thought about him. I'm just, I mean, for the hell of it, it's Talladega. I'm going with Bubba. Bubba Wallace uh, has shown some prowess on these drafting tracks, Daytona uh, certainly. And even the last state tone, I mean, he was right there, uh, in that lead pack, had a great finish. You know, if, if some things break a different way, it's Bubba being pushed to the lead. That's my only concern. I, I think of Bubba having good finishes at drafting tracks. I don't think of him ever leading drafting tracks. And eventually you have to get to the lead, right? You have to be out there controlling, uh, whether it be the front row or the lanes or the runs coming. I don't often think of him doing that, but. These are contrarian picks, so I think Bubba will have a damn good race and compete for the win on Sunday. What do you think?
0: Neither of us picked a uh, Hendrick driver, and just well, that's looking not very at their contrarian sp- David, <laughs> looking at their speed over um, over the last few years, uh, they have had just speed and spades at these drafting tracks, and it would be. I don't know. It's, it would be a win that Chase Elliott sort of needs. He's had plenty of speed of a late, but has not been able to close the deal. I can see Bowman winning this. He's finished second in this race before. Um, I think there's, yeah, you're, you're right. Maybe not contrarian, but I think there's, there's, uh, potentially a story. Emanating from Hendrick after this one. I think that sure. might be interesting.
1: Alright, yeah. that's fair. That's fair. We'll see how we do. Uh, it's Talladega, baby. I love Talladega. David, I know you have your connections there as well, uh, growing up. So, uh, I, it's just one of my favorite weekends of the year and, uh, it, it should be fun. So I'm looking forward to it. Don't forget, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Luminary, and TuneIn. We are available no matter your device. Our entire catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. This does help in spreading the word. We, of course, notice, and it is so appreciated. If you have any questions, send them to us on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. We love to answer your questions because you guys ask such great questions. David, you're always working hard. What are you working on?
0: This week on Forbes, my conversation, as we have discussed, with Chase Briscoe. It contains a spider chart of his track position habits to this point in the season. And on motorsportsanalytics.com, uh, for patrons of Motorsports Analytics, I will be redistributing Volume 1 of the Prospect Bible Today, if you're listening on Thursday, but you can sign up for the next distribution coming on November 1, and that'll be it. There will be uh, be no more distribution beyond that point. So if you've seen some of the photos uh, that I've posted on Twitter, if you're enticed by 18 pages of exclusive analysis and artwork, become a patron of Motorsports Analytics at the Wendell Scott level please head to patreon.com backslash motorsportsanalytics.
1: Do it. If you want to learn something and be smarter, do what David just said. Promise. Uh, David, I I am lucky and fortunate. I will be in Talladega on Saturday on pit road for the truck race, the cutoff race for their respective playoff round. So that's going to be pretty awesome. Great storylines there, including Todd Gilliland, who's on the bottom of the playoff grid right now, but, He has finished second there before. I believe he won an Arca race there. So maybe he can just go out there and win the damn thing. So that'll be some good drama playoff-style trucks. Make sure you watch that on FS1. And make sure you just uh, watch all the racing you can. Uh, uh, Race Hub, Monday through Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern on FS1. And uh, keep it tuned on our respective Twitter accounts. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Episode 81 of Positive Regression. Have a great week, everybody.